Christianity is under attack. It is being assaulted by Islamic fundamentalists, evolutionists, humanists, atheists, and government. But none of these constitute the greatest threat to Christianity. The most deadly threat to Christianity is one that comes from within, and that is apostasy. The church of the 21st century is being decimated by an epidemic of apostasy. And by that I mean that everywhere we look today, we see individual churches and complete denominations departing from the fundamentals of the faith. For an expert's analysis of the internal threat of apostasy, stay tuned. Lamb and Lion Ministries presents Christ in Prophecy, a program that focuses on the fundamentals of Bible prophecy, showing how current events in the news relate to biblical predictions of end-time events and the soon return of Jesus. Now, here's your host, Dr. David Reagan. Greetings in the name of Jesus, our blessed hope, and welcome to Christ in Prophecy. During the past two weeks, we have been taking a look at presentations that were made at our 2011 Bible Conference, the theme of which was Christianity Under Attack. Two weeks ago, we shared with you some excerpts from a presentation by Kirby Anderson of Probe Ministries. It was entitled, The Challenge of Islam. Last week, we focused on the challenge of government, and the presenter was Dr. Frank Wright, the president of the National Religious Broadcasters. In this program, we're going to present excerpts from another of the great presentations that were made at our 2011 Bible Conference. James Walker, the president of Watchman Fellowship, made a presentation at our conference entitled The Challenge of Apostasy. He based his presentation upon the last sermon that Paul delivered to the leaders of the church at Ephesus, a sermon recorded in Acts chapter 20. Mr. Walker called his presentation, Famous Last Words of the Watchman. Here now is James Walker speaking on the challenge of apostasy within Christendom today. Nathan. Thank you, Nathan. Thank you, Dr. Reagan. Such a pleasure to be here. Now, I know with a name like Watchman Fellowship, you've got to be good. Now, I'm all over the country and and some international, and it's confusing in the entire English-speaking world because people hear Watchman Fellowship. I'm president of Watchman Fellowship, but sometimes they hear Watchman, but they think Watchtower. They think, Watchtower, why do we have the Jehovah's Witnesses at our, at our gathering, at our conference, at our church? Well, I want you to rest assured, rest easy. We are not the Watchtower. We're Watchman Fellowship. We take our name from Ezekiel 33. God places a watchman on the wall. We are the good guys. <laughs> and what we do at Watchman Fellowship, as Nathan shared with you, is, is in the area of apologetics, in the area of cults, the occult, new religious movements, etc. I'm president of Watchman Fellowship. I'm actually not the founder of the organization. My background, I was a fourth generation Mormon and Baptism for the dead in the Salt Lake City Temple, and uh, I could tell you that whole story sometime. But as I was leaving out of Mormonism, coming to Christ, uh, as I was making that transition from Mormonism to Christianity, 
even when I was saved and received Christ, I was still confused on things. My whole life had been based on, the, on Mormonism and the prophet Joseph Smith. I remember as a new Christian thinking about a particular verse that was deeply troubling me. I thought, now wait a minute, was that verse in the Bible or the Book of Mormon where I heard that verse? And it was so confused. I went to the Christian bookstore in Columbus, Georgia, where my wife and I were living at the time. And I, I believe that I... If, I probably, I think I bought every book they had on the subject of Mormonism. So I take my books, I go to check out at the uh, register, and the woman asked me, so, sir, why are you getting all these uh, books on Mormonism? I was embarrassed by it, but I said, well, actually, I, I used to be a Mormon, and I'm still struggling with some of these things. She said, sir, sir, you'll be so happy to know there's a brand new ministry that just started here in Columbus, Georgia, and it's called Watchman Fellowship. And it's just for people just like you. So that's okay. I just want my books. And she said, no. I said, what? She said, no. And she stopped and got a business card out from the president, of, the founder of Watchman Fellowship, David Hinkey. And she dialed the phone number and got the founder on the phone and handed me the phone. He needs to talk to you. Yes. <laughs> We have a support group. We have a Bible study. Why don't you come check it out? Let me tell you, I did, and I'm so thankful the Lord opened that door for me and what would have taken maybe years for me to work through. Uh, uh, Watchman Fellowship, they understood the terminology, the language. They had the, the resources, the evidence, the things that I needed to answer my questions. And it was so helpful. Now, of course, I never had any, any idea that one day I would be called into ministry and that one day I would go to work for Watchman Fellowship and that, that later on I would become the president of Watchman Fellowship. But it, it kind of reminds me of that old TV commercial. You may remember uh, the TV commercial about the hair club for men. Where the guy says, I'm not only the president, I'm also a client. And so I am president of Watchmen, but I'm also a client. I remember what it was like when I needed help and Watchmen Fellowship was there for me. Now, one of the things we do at Watchmen is provide tools and resources you need to be able to build a bridge to reach out to people of other faiths. And one of the resources I wanted to mention to you is our free bi-monthly profile. Every other month, our ministry produces a four-page document called The Profile. And every other month we deal with a different issue. We've been doing this now for 17 years. Uh, and so every other month. Now the one that's about to come out, it's already written, is on the controversial uh, minister who wrote the book Love Wins. His name is Rob Bell. And if you don't know about that, you need to. But every other month it's something new. And we want to give you an opportunity to get a free subscription. If you'd like that free subscription, if you'll look at the outline, I think on the chair uh, that you that you're sitting on. We placed an outline for you with my message. Uh, and on the back of that, there's a form that says free profile subscription. And there's a place to print your name and address. If you'll just drop that off at our table afterwards, I'd love to make that available to you. Well, the title of my message today is Famous Last Words of the Watchman. Now, I'm hoping when I say famous last words of the Watchman, I'm hoping these are not my last words to Lamb and Lion Bible Prophecy Conference. I, want to, I hope I get to come back and have some other words with you later. It's been a long time since I uh, did something for, uh, for Dr. Reagan. I think it was in the 1980s the last time. But every two decades, he feels like it's important to bring me back. And I'm hoping I'm still alive and able to do that a couple of decades from now. And uh, I hope it's not my last words. It's the last words of the Apostle Paul, not his actual last words. But let me tell you why I'm interested in this. I have a fascination 
Maybe it's a morbid curiosity about people's last words. It's always interested me. Have you ever thought about that? If you knew you only had a few minutes to share some last words, have you ever thought, what would you want, if you, had, if you had one minute, what would you want to say for your last words? I've always been interested in that. Come to find out there's whole books on the subject of last words. A couple of uh, years ago, I got this as a Christmas present. It's a, a book by, uh, compiled by Ray Robinson. It's on people's deathbed, last words, what they said. It's called Famous Last Words, Fond Farewells, Deathbed Diatribes, and Exclamations Upon Expiration. And uh, it's a fascinating book, and I, I, I just want to share a couple with you famous last words from the book. One of them that really uh, stuck in my mind, some of, the, some of them are very um, tragic. Some of the last words are tragic, some are insightful, and some of them are, are downright humorous. But one of them that stuck in my mind was Karl Marx. Karl Marx, of course, the founder of, of Marxism, the father of communism. How many millions of people have been... Uh, under bondage and persecution and even killed uh, because of the doctrines of Karl Marx. Famous atheist. He died in 1883. And on his deathbed, his, his housekeeper knew he was in poor health and tried to elicit some kind of statement for, for all of posterity, something that would go down in history. So she asked him, uh, Mr. Marx, can you give me your last words? And he angrily said this, go on, get out. Last words are for fools who haven't said enough. And ironically, immediately died. Last words are for fools. And ironically, gave us his last words, which he said were for fools. It reminds me of what the Bible says. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. Another one that sticks in my mind was from the, uh, the Civil War. This is from General John Sedgwick, uh, Sedgwick, who was called by his troops Uncle John. He was the commander of the Union forces in the famous Battle of Spotsylvania. And right before the battle broke out in 1864, midst of the Civil War, he noticed his troops were lacking the courage they needed and were skittish, and the Confederate Army was very close. So he gets in front of his troops and he boldly says, uh, be, be of good courage, be strong, be faithful. He said, uh, don't worry, boys, they couldn't hit an elephant at this dis." In the middle of the words, a, a musket ball from a Confederate sharpshooter found its mark, and he gave us his last words. And one more, more recent example. This is from Spike Milligan. Uh, Spike Milligan was an Irish comedian, playwright, uh, writer, a musician. Uh, he, he died in 2002. His, his famous last words, I told you I was ill. I guess he got the last words in on that. So he gave us his famous last words. Well, these famous last words I want to share with you are actually the words of the Apostle Paul. And uh, these are not Paul's actual last words. Paul died, church history tells us, as a martyr in Rome. We don't have his last recorded words. But we do have Paul's famous last words to the leaders of the church in Ephesus. And so if you will turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 20, these are Paul's famous last words. And so let's pick up Acts chapter 20. We'll begin in verse 17. And uh, Luke, who wrote the book of Acts, records verse 17. And from Miletus, he sent, this is Paul, sent to Ephesus and called for the elders of the church, so the leadership of the church. Now what had happened was, in chapter 19, Paul had spent three years training, mentoring, equipping, uh, discipling the church, the young church there at Ephesus. Then he continued on with his missionary journey. Now he's on his way back to Jerusalem, but on his way back, he gets close enough to Ephesus 
He's in the nearby town of Miletus. It's close enough he can send a messenger to get the elders down, to get the leaders down for one last message for some famous last words. He will look at verse 26. Here's what he says, verse 26. Therefore, uh, wherefore, I take to you to record this day that I am pure from the blood of all men, for I have not shunned to declare unto you all the counsel of God. So Paul wants to introduce his last words by letting everyone know he's pure of the blood of all men. Now, that's kind of odd. Of all the things that Paul could share, he wants him to know he's pure, he's innocent, he's, he's pure of the blood of all people. What in the world would he mean by that? Does he mean he never, he never hurt anybody or he never drew blood or he never physically harmed anyone? Is that his last words he wants them to know? Well, you know, that's not the case because we know Paul's story earlier in the book of Acts. We know before his name was Paul, his name was Saul. And he wasn't innocent of everyone's blood in that regard because this same Paul was once a co-conspirator in the death, the stoning death of the first recorded Christian martyr, Stephen. He was guilty of that. Paul knew that. So he wasn't meaning he was innocent of blood in that regard. So what is he talking about? He says, for I've not shunned to declare unto you the whole, uh, uh, to all the counsel of God. Almost without uh, uh, hesitation, the uh, commentators agree that Paul, this is A in your outline, innocent of the blood, if you're taking notes in your outline, he's making a reference, fill in the blanks, he's making a reference to Ezekiel chapter 33. Innocent of the blood is a reference to Ezekiel, pure of the blood, a reference to Ezekiel chapter 33, where God places a watchman on the wall. And Ezekiel records that the duty of the watchman was to scan the horizon for any kind of danger, any kind of, of, uh, of, 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 of attack that was going to impact that community, that city. And the watchman was to pray for the city, but he's to pray with one eye open because he's also looking. It's the idea is to watch. And if the watchman sees danger coming, does anyone know what's the first responsibility? It's not to fight the battle. What's the first responsibility of the watchman? To blow the horn, sound the trumpet, to blow the, the shofar. Now, to see, the shofar has many purposes in the Bible. The shofar, the second coming of Christ, can be announced with the sound of a trumpet. That's the shofar. Now, some of you thought the shofar simply means the next session's about to begin. I guess that's a purpose too. But the other purpose we want to talk about is the shofar is used by the watchman. Now, what Ezekiel 33 says, if the watchman sees danger coming. Now, this is inexplicable. But for some reason, the watchman sees the danger. There's the shofar. There's the danger. He doesn't blow the trumpet. He doesn't pick up the shofar. He doesn't sound the alarm. The city's over, uh, overrun. The Bible says the blood of those people destroyed, I will, the Lord says, I will require at the watchman's hands. The watchman's duty was to blow the shofar. The watchman failed. Here's what, that's what Paul means. I'm innocent. I'm pure of the blood of all men. Paul was referring to himself as a good watchman. Here's what Paul meant. Anytime God gave him an opportunity to share the whole counsel of God, the whole gospel. Now, anytime God opened the door, this would be before uh, Kings, Agrippa, before Festus. Uh, if he, he was before the philosophers at the Areopagus at Mars Hill, whether he was in the uh, uh, chain between two Roman guards, if he was at the Agora, uh, if he was at the marketplace, wherever, if God gave him an opportunity, he, what did he share? Repentance towards God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. He shared that whole gospel. So therefore, he could say to the people, you know how I'm like, what I'm like, I'm innocent, I'm pure of the blood. Of all men, would it be that we could also be pure? So I want to ask you in your outline, be in your outline, who is the watchman? 
Who is that watchman? Now, you can make the case that Paul is the watchman because he's obviously referring himself to Ezekiel 33. Or you could try to argue that Ezekiel was the watchman because that's the the Bible reference we're looking at. Or you could try to put the blame on me. James, you're president of Watchman Fellowship, so that makes you the watchman. But really, God calls every one of us who name the name of Christ to be that kind of watchman. These are Paul's last words. You've got to be a watchman. So if you're filling the blank, put your own name in there. Put the I am. You put, write your own name in there. Who is the watchman? I am. And then Paul concludes his remarks with, with, um, with insights, with principles of how to be effective, good watchmen. And so what he addresses, first of all, one in your outline, he addresses the question, whom should you watch? If you're going to be a, a watchman, you've got to answer the question, who are you supposed to be watching? And so he addresses that in verse 28 when he says, take heed. Now, take heed means what? Watch. Well, you got to watch if you're going to be a watchman. Okay. Take heed. Watch. Therefore, unto, now look at this. Unto yourselves and to all the flock over which the Holy Ghost has made you overseers to feed the church of God, which he, has per, which he hath purchased with his own blood. So what we see in the scriptures to be effective, good watchmen, we've got to really be watching two things. We've got to, A, be watching. It says, first of all, yourselves. Now, let me tell you what it's like. You know you can't save somebody who's drowning if you don't know how to swim. It's highly unre- it's not recommended. Somebody's drowning in 10 feet of water. You don't know how to swim, but you're going to save them. Well, you end up two people drown. You've got to, first of all, guard yourself. In the culture we're living in, it was in Paul's day, but in our day as well. We're living in a culture where there's all kinds of doctrinal error. I'm going to deal with that in a little bit. It's doctrinal error even in the church. And so we've got to make a covenant, a commitment that we're going to, first of all, guard our own hearts, doctrinally, spiritually, morally. Don't you know that Satan wants you to be disqualified as, a, as an opportunity to be a watchman? And so all these areas, you've got to, first of all, guard yourself. But notice this. He also says, guard your flock. God has given each watchman a flock. A, you have to be shepherd over now, who is your flock? That's what I want to ask you today. Who's your flock? And I want, to, I want you to write some names down there in your outline. Who is your flock? Now, if you're a pastor, I know there's many pastors here. Obviously, God's given you a flock. That's pretty obvious. But what about the rest of us? I believe we all have a flock. Students sometimes know friends at school that they have a relationship with a Christian that no other Christian. I would not have that relationship. Their parents, no pastor would. Maybe that student is to be a watchman. That's their flock. Parents, do we have a flock? You know, obviously our children, our grandchildren, and I know that many of you have a commitment to take the information you're learning here and you've already strategizing how you're going to get this information in the hands of your children and of your grandchildren. That's part of being a watchman. That's what it's all about. So you've got to guard yourself and also your flock. And then Paul addresses the question, what should you watch? Okay, we should watch ourselves and our flock, but what should, what should you be watching for? Uh, let's pick up in verse 29. Uh, the Apostle Paul answers that question. Uh, he says, uh, For I know this, that after my departing, in other words, before Paul gets out the door good, he's on his way to Jerusalem, he already knows what's going to happen. He said, After my departing shall, look at this, grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing what? The flock. Your flock's in danger. There are going to be some hungry wolves coming. If you're going to be a watchman, you've got to be watching for these wolves, hungry wolves coming in. So you've got to, first of all, watch out for these dangers from without. This is A in your outline. Who, what should you watch? You need to be watching 
the scriptures tell us, for dangers from without. Now, this is not part of your flock. These are wolves that are kind of coming from the outside of the flock. Now, we know some biblical principles, though. This is reminiscent of Christ's own words when he said, watch out for false prophets which come to you, how? In sheep's clothing, they're actually hungry wolves. Watch out for these. They're wolves, but they're going to look like what? Sheep. One of the principles of false teachers is no one's ever going to come up to you and say, I'm a false prophet. Do you want to join our group? That doesn't work that way. You know, no one's going to say, excuse me, I'm demon possessed. Can I can I teach you something? Now, it's going to look Christian, but these are very real dangers from without that we have to be watching for our ministry watchmen. This is what we're helping people do, giving them resources for that. We have information on all kinds of different things that we need to be watching for. External dangers, dangers from without. You are watching James Walker speaking on the challenge of apostasy to Christianity. Mr. Walker is the president of Watchman Fellowship, a ministry that is devoted to identifying and monitoring cultic and occultic groups and also false religions. Mr. Walker proceeded to discuss the religions of Wicca and Islam. His third example of a threat to Christianity from the outside was from his own experience as a Mormon. Mormonism started with just six charter members in the year 1830. They now have over 13 million members worldwide, making it one of the fastest growing religions in the history of the world. They come across as being Christian, wholesome, and they are some great people. Let me say, many of my family are still Mormons, and they're good people. I love the Mormon people. But it's not Christian. Who would have ever thought we would have two Mormon presidential candidates in the upcoming, for the upcoming election? So this, uh, Mormonism is very powerful in the United States and around the world. And the doctrines of Mormonism are, though, are, are completely um, uh, non-Christian in nature. When I was a Mormon, I was taught that God, before he was God, he was once a man on another planet. I was taught that God is married. In Mormonism, you have Heavenly Father and his wife, Heavenly Mother. Uh, as a Mormon, I was taught that I could become a god myself one day if I went through the secret temple ceremonies and was, was obedient to the uh, laws and ordinances of the gospel. So it is certainly uh, not compatible with Christianity. But the Mormons have claimed that they are baptizing into the Mormon church 282 Southern Baptists every seven days. That's just the Southern Baptists. That doesn't count other groups as well. At this point in his presentation, Mr. Walker shifted to a discussion of modern-day apostasies within the church. And like him, I must admit that I have been shocked and appalled by both the degree of apostasy and the speed at which it has been accelerating. For example, who would have believed 20 years ago that today churches would be ordaining homosexuals and performing same-sex marriages? Or that major Christian leaders, even so-called evangelicals, would be denying the reality of hell and arguing that Christianity is just one of many roads to heaven? The brutal fact is that we have Christian leaders today who are denying all the fundamentals of the faith, including the virgin birth, the resurrection, and the second coming. The only positive thing we can derive from this gross apostasy is the fact that it is a fulfillment of end time Bible prophecy. For the Bible specifically prophesies that the end times will be characterized by a great falling away from the faith due to doctrines of demons and due to people desiring to hear messages that tickle their ears rather than challenge their souls. Mr. Walker concluded his presentation with these words. 
Paul wraps up, and let's do the same, with uh, three in your outline. How should you watch? One verse, he says, Therefore, watch and remember that by the space of three years, I cease not to warn everyone night and day. How? With tears. Two principles we see from verse 31. How should you watch? Continuously. Paul said, I remember that I warned you night and day. Now, that would be a.m. and p.m. The entire three years, night and day. Now, 365 days a year. That's over a thousand days in the morning, in the evening. It's got to be continuous. We can't be watchmen by coming to a conference and then be done with it until next year. This has to be a commitment that in the a.m. and the p.m., morning, evening, we're going to be guarding our flock. We're going to be watching our own selves and then the flock that God's given us continuously, but also compassionately. Paul says he uh, did this night and day. How? With tears. It's with tears flowing down Paul's cheeks. This was not a bash or a rant or an attack. This broke Paul's heart. When he talked about Hymenaeus and Alexander, it's uh, Hymen, Alex. These are his friends. These are people he's dealt with. This broke his heart. This is the same Paul who once said, if he himself, his salvation could be uh, be eliminated, if he could be cursed, accursed for the Jews, that the Jewish people, his his family, his, his heritage could be saved, he would give his salvation up. That's the kind of compassion. That's the kind of watchman that Paul was. So he could say his famous last words, I'm pure. Look at this. See my hands? I'm pure of the blood of all men. I just would to be that if we come back a year from now, we're gathered together at the same place, that you could say, I could say to you, you could say to me, you know, as best I could tell when the Lord gave me an opportunity, whether it was at the Starbucks, whether it was at the workplace, with a family member, with somebody when God opened the door, I shared that gospel of grace. And I was able to be that watchman and watch over my flock the best God gave me the opportunity. So we could come back a year from now and say with Paul that we are pure of the blood of all men. Thank you very much, and God bless you. I want to invite you to join us again next week when we will broadcast another of the presentations made at our 2011 Bible Conference. Our featured speaker will be Dr. John Morris, the President of the Institute for Creation Research. His topic will be The Challenge of Evolution. If you would like to get a video copy of the entire presentation you have been watching by James Walker about apostasy in the church today, you can do so by requesting this album, Christianity Under Attack. The album contains three DVDs that in turn contain all six of the presentations that were made at our 2011 Bible Conference. Each presentation runs approximately 50 minutes in length, so this album contains 300 minutes of fully illustrated presentations by six different speakers on the following topics. The Challenge of Islam, The Challenge of Government, The Challenge of Apostasy, The Challenge of Evolution, The Challenge of Humanism, and The Promise of Victory. You can get the album for a gift of $25 or more plus the cost of shipping. Just call the number you see on the screen and ask for the album by name, Christianity Under Attack. Call Monday through Friday from 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. Central Time. You can also request the album through our website at www.lamlion.com. I'd like to take this opportunity to invite each of you to attend our 2012 Bible Conference. It's scheduled to be held in the Dallas, Texas area during the last weekend in June, June 29 and 30. The theme will be Israel in the End Times. Our featured speakers will include Jeff Seif, Arnold Fruchtenbaum, Mark Hitchcock, Gary Frazier, and White House correspondents Bill Koenig. 
Our featured musician for the conference will be Ted Pierce, who is considered to be one of the foremost Messianic songwriters, performers, and worship leaders. The conference is free of charge, but registration is required. You can register at our website or by calling the number you see on the screen. Seating is limited, so if you want to attend, please call and register as soon as possible. Again, the theme of the conference will be Israel in the End Times. I hope you will be able to join us. Well, folks, that's our program for this week. I hope it's been a blessing to you. Until next week, the Lord willing, this is Dave Reagan speaking for Lamb and Lion Ministries saying, Look up, be watchful, for our redemption is drawing near. Thank you for joining us on today's Christ in Prophecy, a presentation of Lamb and Lion Ministries, a non-denominational ministry dedicated to teaching the fundamentals of biblical prophecy and proclaiming the soon return of Jesus. 